You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning, North Valley. How are we doing this morning? We doing well? It's good to see you. Good to see you. My name is Jonathan. I serve as the executive pastor here at North Valley, and it's a privilege to be with you today. Uh, So we are continuing in our teaching series, 40 Days with Jesus. I hope you've been a part of it. If you haven't, we post all of our sermon uh, we post all of the audio online. Uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to the messages. We started back with Easter. We were talking about the resurrection, um, and then we jumped into 40 Days with Jesus, and we're back to the resurrection. And it's good because the resurrection is so critically important to the Christian faith that we will talk about it again today. But you know, as, as I was preparing, I was, I was thinking about resurrection. Um, that term can kind of get lost on us, even for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, because Um, We don't talk about it all that often, and it's generally around Easter. So let me give you uh, two other words that maybe you can substitute. Today we're talking about life and death. And not just those abstract terms, life and death, but really what we're talking about is life and death. It's of that importance. Life and death. And and even more so than that, it's a juxtaposition of life and death together that we're going to be wrestling through today. So we're going to be in two passages, John chapter 20 and Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bible, I invite you to go ahead and turn to John 20 and Romans 6. Pull out your phones, whatever device you have. Um, Let's get into the scripture together this morning. As I was thinking through this, one of my favorite movies came to mind, The Green Mile. Uh, Raise your hand. Have you seen The Green Mile, the movie? Okay, good. So I I can continue on with the illustration. Otherwise, I'd be trying to find a new one if no one had seen the movie. No, The Green Mile, I love that show. It's, it, to, to give you the context, it's about a death row inmate, John Coffey, and his experience on The Green Mile, death row, his last days of life. And maybe some of you guys will remember the scene. It's, it's kind of a chilling phrase that, um, as I've thought about it more and more, has kind of rocked me. Do you remember the scene where John Coffey is exiting the vehicle and uh, Percy, the character Percy Wetmore is walking him to the Green Mile. And Percy is proclaiming this phrase that is now characteristic of John Coffey. And the phrase is, dead man walking. Now Percy was trying to kind of make his way up the, the chain in the prison. But that phrase was characteristic of all of the inmates on death row. Dead men walking. Do you catch the juxtaposition there? We don't expect a dead man to be walking, do we? Dead men don't move. They're dead. Alive people that are walking, we don't call them dead. Dead men walking. I get kind of interested sometimes on these topics, and I chase little bunny trails all around, and so I chase this one down. I was curious, is that dead men walking? Is that just a creative phrase that the writers came up with for the movie, or is that a legitimate Um, phrase used for death row inmates, and shockingly, it actually is a characteristic phrase for death row inmates. Criminologists call it that phase of life where somebody's death sentence has been handed down to them, and they're going to spend some time in a cell until their execution. That phase of life for them is called a living death. A living death. Death row inmates have no hope in life. Their life is coming to an end. And yet, while they're alive, they're acting like and being treated as if they're dead because there's no further life down the road for them. 
Well, this morning as we're talking about resurrection, we're talking about life and death. Hold on to those phrases because we're going to explore the reality of life and death for us. So we're going to be in John chapter 20. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6. It's a lot of text to work through today, so we're not going to read all of it. Instead, for John chapter 20, watch this video that kind of sets up the scene of what's going on. Peter! Peter! Everyone, the tomb is open. He's alive. That's not possible. I saw him. Mary, maybe it was someone else. You think I'm mad? Peter, see the tomb for yourself. Now, do you believe me? But he's gone. Gone? Now? He's back. Well, friends, is Jesus gone or is he back? What I want to do first is work through in John chapter 20, we find three historical truths. The, the bedrock, if you will, for believing that the resurrection truly is a historical event and that Jesus the Christ who died on the cross and was put in a tomb didn't stay in the tomb, but also his body didn't get removed and placed somewhere else. He's alive. And so death is no longer the applicable term for his life. He's alive. He's living. So first we're going to look at three historical truths, and then we're going to look at four implications. So what does that mean? So um, first, we talked about this back at Easter, but <clears throat> Jesus' resurrection was foretold in Scripture. So when we're watching this, we should kind of be amazed that the disciples those that were walking and following Jesus and being taught by Jesus were so caught off guard by the fact that his body wasn't in the tomb. Because Jesus himself told them, hey, I'm going to die, but three days later I'm going to rise again. And if that wasn't enough, the disciples were Jewish, and so they would have grown up being taught um, from the Scripture, the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is chock full of prophecies foretelling that there was this one that was going to come, the Messiah, the Christ. He was going to come and be the redeemer for the nation of Israel. And part of the, the life of this person would be, he would suffer and then die, but he wouldn't stay dead, he would rise again. So scripture pointed to, the, to this Messiah coming, dying, and then rising again. Jesus shows up on the scene, connects his life to that and says, I am the promised one and I am going to die, and I am going to rise again. And so, what we have is not just a hindsight account of something that happened, right? Hindsight's always 20-20. So we can get everything right after the events happen. We can tell you what really happened and get all the details right. But what we have are prophecies that came hundreds of years in advance saying 
everything that was going to happen, all the characteristics of Jesus' life were going to happen, and they were foretold ahead of time, and then Jesus lived them out. They actually really did happen. And so Jesus' resurrection was foretold in Scripture. In fact, in one of the other accounts in uh, the Gospel of Luke, after Jesus is, is resurrected and he's um, showing himself to people, revealing himself to people, he walks along with, it says he walks along with a couple of guys that are on a journey. And it's almost kind of like he's so overwhelmed with the fact that they do still don't get what happened. Hey, the, the scriptures foretold of this, then I showed up and I told you this, and now you still don't get it. He's kind of like, he's like oh my goodness, guys, let me tell you. So it says that he starts with Moses and the prophets and goes through the entire New Testament showing very clearly how it all pointed to him. Today on this side of history, we have the Old Testament that points us to Jesus and then we have the New Testament that gives us all the details of his life. But the first historical truth is that Jesus' resurrection was foretold in Scripture. But you know, if we're kind of wrestling with that and we don't get it, it's okay, we're in good company. Because the disciples didn't understand either. Did you catch, uh, look at uh, verse 9. It says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The disciples, the ones that were being taught and trained and lived life with Jesus, they didn't get it either. So friends, we're in good company if we're wrestling with the reality of the resurrection because the disciples didn't get it either. Even Mary, um, in John chapter 20, verse 2, it says, She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Jesus, uh, later on in verse 29, as he's showing himself to the disciples, he comes to Thomas, nicknamed the doubter. And he says, Hey, Thomas, look, I am who I said I was, and look, I am back. And Thomas refused to believe until he actually saw Jesus. And Jesus looks to Thomas and chastises him and says, you had to see me in order to believe, but blessed are all those who will believe without even seeing. Friends, I know it can be difficult. That's where we stand, right? Thousands of years after Jesus has left the earth, this is where we find ourselves. Can we believe without seeing, or are we still looking for that proof? One of the proofs is that Jesus' resurrection was foretold in Scripture. Even the disciples didn't understand it. But here's the the raw reality is Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. We just sang, right? The, The grave was only borrowed for three days. And Jesus is alive. And the way we know that is because the very people who would have known if Jesus was dead or alive... They confirm that he's alive. Listen to, listen to verses 16 to 18. <clears throat> Mary is still at the tomb and she's weeping, distraught, because she doesn't know where Jesus' body is. And Jesus appears and he doesn't recognize her. I mean, she doesn't recognize him. And it says, Jesus said to her, Mary. That's it. That's all he had to say. What was her reaction? She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Her reaction was to hear her name, Mary. She turns and sees her risen Lord and clings to him. He's back. 
right? One disciple says, he's gone. The other disciple says, no, he's back. Mary recognizes the voice of her Lord and Savior and and clings to him. The gospel accounts continue on and Jesus shows himself to the disciples. And then he shows himself to others walking on the road on a journey. Then he shows himself to, it says, over 500. Jesus was showing himself, the risen Jesus showed himself to all the people that could disprove and say, no, you're a fraud, you're a fake. You're not really Jesus, the man that was crucified on the cross and was put in the tomb. You're somebody else. No, you didn't really die. All the people that could have disproved that, Jesus showed himself there. Not just one, it's not just a, uh, one, one's personal testimony. It's the testimony of hundreds, all confirming that this is the same Jesus that died on the cross, was put in the tomb, is now alive. I like in uh, Luke chapter 24, one of the, in one of the accounts as it's relating it to us, there's angels that are at the tomb. And they, they look at the disciples and they say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You've come to a graveyard to find the risen king. People who are alive are not at graveyards. Jesus, the resurrected one, is not in the tomb. He's alive. Jesus is not a dead man walking. He's an alive person living. So for us, those of us who believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried in the, grave, in the tomb, didn't stay there, he rose again. Friends, Jesus is alive, amen? Amen. Let's keep going. What does it matter whether Jesus rose or not? Right? When we talk about what it is that we believe, we talk about that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We need to talk about that. But sometimes we forget that Jesus rose again. And it's of critical importance for believers, for Christians, to confess and remind ourselves that Jesus rose again. And here's why. First, the resurrection validates that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Christ is, when we read it in the scriptures, Christ is the Old Testament term that was used, Messiah, meaning anointed one. So when the prophecies were talking about that Jesus, there would be one who would come and redeem the nation of Israel. They talked about a Messiah, an anointed one. And so in the New Testament, when they start talking about Jesus and they connect the word Jesus and Christ, it is so important because Christ is the promised one to come. Paul says this, um, the Apostle Paul says this in the book of Acts chapter 17. So just, a, just years after Jesus left the earth, Paul is going into the synagogues and is reasoning. He's talking, discussing with the Jewish people to say, listen, the Messiah, the one that you read about in the Old Testament, he really did come. And it says, proving that it was necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Paul makes that connection. And that connection is only valid if Jesus rose from the dead. Because that is what the prophecy said. So if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, Jesus isn't the Messiah. But Paul makes the connection, no, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. So the resurrection validates that Jesus is the Christ. The resurrection also affirms Jesus' divinity. 
So we've been talking about this through the life of Christ, that Jesus is not just a good man. Jesus is divine. He is the Son of God and man. The two natures. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. He says, And Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul doesn't say by His death on the cross, does he? He says by His resurrection from the dead. So the resurrection affirms Jesus' divinity. He's not just a wonder worker. Jesus is not just a miracle maker. In, in the New Testament times, there were others that were doing some pretty crazy things. What sets Jesus apart is that he did those things, claiming to be Jesus the Christ. He died on the cross but didn't stay dead. There were a lot of people that did amazing things, but they died. And that was the end of their story. But Jesus dies and then is resurrected it affirms his divinity. The resurrection marks the beginning of a new age. So Jesus comes to this earth, makes a lot of claims about who he is, the Son of God, dies on the cross. If that's all we have, then we have the end of another life and we just keep on going. But see, we can't do that. Because Jesus doesn't stay dead. He causes us problems, right? We have to face facts. We have to wrestle with the, with the reality that Jesus is resurrected. And that marks the beginning of a new age. Listen to the writer in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 8. It's talking about Jesus and he says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Putting everything in subjection to him. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it marks the beginning of a new age. And the new age in which the King of Kings, Jesus Christ our Lord, begins his reign. Now I get it. It's tough for us because we see with our physical eyes. And what do we see in this world? We see pain. We see suffering. We see death. And the wonderfulness that we want to have happen, that Jesus promises is happening, is coming. But the age has only begun with Jesus' resurrection. It's not fully achieved yet. And so there will be one day where pain and suffering are no more. There will be one day where death isn't the final answer. There will be one day where brokenness doesn't mark our lives. That day has begun with the resurrection of Jesus. But presently we experience fierce opposition to Christ's reign. But for us as believers, the resurrection is the basis of our hope. You see, we don't walk as a dead man or dead women. We don't walk with this limit to our life. We don't have just a short time left. Maybe five years, maybe some of us 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe. The resurrection is the basis of our hope 
that death is not the final event of our life. We don't live a life and then death occurs and that's the end of our story. Our story continues on to, into eternity because Jesus Christ is risen and he's the king of kings. And to his kingdom, there is no end. It's the eternal kingdom. And for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we have a hope based on his resurrection that death is not the final event of our life. But there's an eternity before us. But that hope is based on, us, on spiritual eyes. I'm right with you, friends. I read the newspaper. I listen to the news. And the stories are bleak. And it makes me wonder sometimes. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I have a hope that this isn't how it's always going to be. This isn't all that my days will be like. I have a hope that there is an eternity. The Apostle Paul gives us the teaches us this, he just gives it to us in the negative. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If the resurrection didn't happen, we have no hope. And I would agree. If there is no resurrection, death is the end of it. But Jesus Christ doesn't stay in that tomb. He borrows it for three days only. And then he's raised to new life. Let's flip over to Romans chapter 6. I want to dig in a little bit deeper. I know this was a little bit quick. I implore you, through the week, read John chapter 20. Think through what it is that, like when, when Jesus says that he's raised from the dead. And then we provide daily devotionals for you that will aid your reading. But jump over to Romans chapter 6 because I can't, we can't leave here today without digging in to kind of look at the so what? If Jesus Christ really raised from the dead, that's awesome. And that is the core belief for the Christian faith. But what does it mean for me today? How, how do I look at life through the lens of resurrection? So that I'm not just seeing the fierce opposition of this world, pain, suffering, brokenness, and death. But I see, I have an eternal perspective. I see with spiritual eyes to understand what's really going on. So let's talk about my resurrection. Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul gives us some, gives us some wonderful news. He gives us, some, gives us some wonderful news. As I read, I want you to pay attention to the parallel between Jesus Christ and us, those who believe in Jesus Christ. Listen as we jump in, starting in verse 2. The Apostle Paul says, And how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Friends, because of the resurrection, for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you're alive. You're alive. That chilling statement that was uttered over the character John Coffey, dead man walking, is not characteristic of your life. That phase of life in which your death sentence has been pronounced and you're just merely waiting for death to come to you 
That's not true of you. You're not in a living death. You're in a period of life. When you stare down the timeline, time isn't ticking away from your clock as if the days and the hours are draining life from you. No, friends, for those of us in Christ, time may be passing, but so will time pass in the end, and we have eternity before us, and so we have life. Life is ticking into our lives, not being drained out of it. We're alive. Let me continue on, verses 5 through 10, the Apostle Paul kind of explains it in a little bit more detail. Again, listen for the parallels between us and Jesus. For if we have been united, in verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be, be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. The truth, the reality that marks our lives is we're alive. We're not dead men walking. We're not in those final moments of life, although we may feel it sometimes. We're not in those final moments of life where we're just staring down, waiting for the grave to come our way. Life just slowly draining out of us, growing weary. No, as the moments tick by, life is being added to us. Jesus Christ says, I come that you may have life and have it abundantly, free from sin, We are alive. The Apostle Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just tell us what we are. He implores us. He exhorts us to stop living like a dead person. Look at verse 11. He says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Stop living like a dead person. It's hard, isn't it? Sometimes we feel so limited. The pressures of life are coming down upon us. We feel like there's no tomorrow, or we feel like there may be only a few more tomorrows left. That's not characteristic of the Christian life. That's not characteristic of those who believe and hold that the resurrection of Jesus Christ really did happen because what Paul just did is he said, just as Christ was raised from the dead, so also you will walk in newness of life. Just as Christ was resurrected, so you will be resur- have a resurrection like his. And remember that that resurrection of Jesus Christ happened thousands of years ago, and that has already begun the age of Jesus' reign as King of Kings. So while we don't see it in its, in its fullness, right? We still see death. We still feel pain. We still feel suffering and hurt. The reign of Jesus as King of Kings has already begun. And so our resurrection has already begun. So stop living like a dead person, friends. We are not dead men walking. In verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, so you must also consider. That word consider is key for us. Because it's 
It's holding on to something that is really, really true, even though you don't feel like it's true. Even though everything else may not lend itself to make it look like it's true, the Apostle Paul says, consider it true. Now, I'm from the South, so we'd say it like this, reckon yourselves to be alive. Reckon it to be true of you. Consider it. Decide that it is true. Purpose it to be true in your life. Not out of your own will and volition, but because Jesus died and has already been raised. And so the Apostle Paul connects us to that. For those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we're connected to that. And so our resurrection is already occurring. And so we're not dead men walking. In Colossians chapter 3, Verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Just prior to that, in verses 1 and 2, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. He's encouraging us, have an eternal perspective. Look beyond what you see here and now, because this isn't all that there is. We're not dead men walking. We're not in this limited phase of life in which we see the end. Think with me for a moment. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine what it is like to be on death row. Imagine being locked up in a cell, having basically no personal belongings, But worse than that is that you have no hope because you see the end. The end of life is coming. And there's nothing you can do about it. You know, as I was reading about death row and this phase of life called a living death, I had never understood how bleak that was. Here in America... When a, a, a death sentence is handed down, a death row inmate might be in a cell for 12 or 14 years. Now, it's good intentioned. I'm not going to get into capital punishment and whether you're for it or against it. But I was, I was intrigued to learn because the system, the American capital punishment system is designed so that there's room for appeal. But that time period could last 12 to 14 years. Imagine, because it's not so far from us, is it? Living life, because I think some of us are already there, where we have years ahead of us, but we are living with no hope. We're living in bleakness, pain and suffering. In a sense, you're already confined to that cell. And you're wrestling with the reality of that there's an end that you can't change. There's a death sentence that's been handed to you and it's just looming in the near future. Psychologists have been studying this time period for death row inmates because with the absence of hope, people fall apart. 
we crumble because there's nothing left to live for. Friends, too many of us have adopted the dead man walking label as one that is characteristic of our Christian lives. Talking about those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we've forgotten the resurrection. And so we live our lives in bleakness and dreariness, just plodding along one day after another, like dead men walking. We're in the phase of a living death. We've accepted that death is coming our way. And so we'll just pass along day by day, step by step. The Apostle Paul says, no, that's not characteristic of your life. You're alive. Christian, you're alive. Stop living like a dead person. And you say to me, and I hope you do, how? How do I stop living like a dead person? Because I'm in a world where I'm dealing day in and day out with pain, suffering, loss of life, and I just don't know what to do. The good news is you don't have to do anything. Because you can't will yourself to stop thinking like a dead person. You can't will yourself to conjure up some hope. God does that for you. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul tells us, do not be conformed to this world. Do not conform. Do not adopt the world values. Don't follow the world's pursuits. Don't seek after the priorities of the world. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Transforming your mind is adopting God's values, adopting God's priorities, following God's pursuits. And do you know the amazing thing is? Do you know how you do it? You just get in front of this. The Word of God, the Bible. Get yourself in front of this and God will transform your mind. So we will stop thinking like dead people and we'll start living like alive people. Simply by getting in front of the Word of God. He will transform your mind. You can't do it. Don't try. Give up. Call it quits now. But if you will get in the Bible, if you will read the Word of God, the promises, the wonderfulness of life will come true. And when Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, that will resonate in your life. You know, you'll be reading the Bible and you won't even know that your mind's changing. All of a sudden, you're going to have thoughts and you go, "Woo, where'd that one come from? I, don't, I never thought like that before. You're going to wish well on somebody that previously you'd be so frustrated at, you can't even talk to them anymore. And you'll start wanting good for them. Your whole perspective will change. You'll see this world, you'll see the beauty of it. Even the 100 degree sun that's beating down on us right now. You'll see that sun and be amazed at the creation that God made. Now I know we're amazed at grass, we live in the desert, but you'll be amazed at dirt and how wonderful rocks are. You will see the beauty of this world. You'll see the beauty of people. You'll see the amazingness of what God can do in lives. And you'll be motivated and inspired to invest yourself in something bigger than you 
that has an eternal perspective and an eternal reward. God will transform, God transforms your thinking. You don't have to do it yourself. You don't have to do it yourself. Now here's the parting challenge for you. Think like a living person. Can we do that? By the power of God in our lives, can we think like a living person? Look at verse 13, what Paul says. He says, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We are free. Christian, you are free to experience the abundance of life that God has. Not just merely marking a day by day, going to that dreary job, running the kids to school again. I forgot to pick something up at the grocery store. Oh, my tank's empty. Got to fill it up with gas one more time. A few more miles down the road. That's not the life that God has for us. Sure, there's problems. But God has a life of freedom for you. Just as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, Paul says, you too, Christian, we too experience a newness of life. Life doesn't have to be about anxiety and worry and fear. We have a hope in an, with an eternal perspective. And so if you have five years left or you have 10 or 20 or 30, know that God can tick life into you instead of draining hours and minutes out of you. That's exciting. That is exciting. That is what the resurrection means. That we're not doomed to mere existence. Here at North Valley, we want to help you. Our heart, our desire is to help you. The first, get in front of the Word of God. But here's how we want to help you. Take a look at the back of your program. I wrote it down because I want you to leave with this. And I want you to consider four ways that we want to help you. One, show up on Sunday mornings. I know you're here, so you're probably going, great, did that. Continue to do it regularly. And here's why. Because this is what we teach. We teach the Bible. So I guarantee you, you show up on a Sunday, that's at least one hour out of your week that you will be in front of the Word of God. And that will begin the process of transforming your mind. So make it a regular practice to show up for a Sunday service because it's getting in front of the Word of God. Second is serve with a ministry team somewhere. And here's why. I don't want to get anything out of you. I don't want you to think, oh, he's going to ask me to pull that weed. Oh, I got to go wipe a snotty nose of a kid. I get it, it's tough. But here's why serving is so important, because it helps remind you that life is bigger than you. You're gonna, serving is the opportunity for you to give to other people with nothing coming back in return. Nothing coming back in return. And do you know what happens? Do you see that picture of 20 kids going to camp? Imagine if those 20 kids, imagine, just, imagine how far that's going to spread. Those 20 kids come back loving Jesus more and tell their friends about Jesus. And then they grow up and they get married and they start families and, and all of a sudden they're raising kids to love Jesus. I mean, that thing's going to grow. And what's going to help it grow is some of you teaching those kids how to love Jesus. Invest in their life. Serve with a team. 
We also, here at North Valley, we do classes. Classes because we want to teach you the Word of God. We want to teach you the implications of the Word of God. And so we talk about what's it like to be part of the family of God. What's it like to be part of the North Valley family? We talk about what, how did God make you? Do you know you have a personality? You know you have a personality. You just don't know why you have that personality. You have experiences. You may just not know why you've had those experiences. We want to help you put all of that together so you understand who you are. God made you an amazing, beautiful person, and he, he wants to use you. We just want to help connect the dots for you. And then last, we're on break right now, but we do neighborhood groups. There are small groups that meet in homes. We'll be kicking them off in the fall. Guys, one of the amazing opportunity to get with other people that are getting in the Word of God, to get with other people who are wrestling with the resurrection, wrestling with Jesus' divinity, wrestling with all of that and saying, well, what does that mean in my life? Get together with people and wrestle together. Not each other, mind you, wrestle together. So neighborhood groups, great opportunity for you to get to know people, get to dig into the word of God. We want to help you here at North Valley. So take this home. Make plans, make commitments to be in the word of God so that you are experiencing the fullness of of God. You're experiencing the fullness of life and you're no longer dead people walking, but you think like living people. Because when you think like living people, you'll start living like living people. And it's an amazing experience and you will have vibrant life, not marked by anxiety and worries. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time today. Holy Spirit, would you do a work in our hearts, take this truth about the resurrection deep within us, God, that we might be living people, those who are experiencing the fullness of life that you promised, not because we're willing ourselves onto a better existence, but because truly, God, you are changing and transforming our lives. Might that be true of us? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.